Here's another inspiring message from Northside Community Church, Sydney. I thought maybe, I'd, thought maybe we could just have open mic this morning. Anyone want to answer? Anyone want to respond to Stephen Fry and that? How dare you, he says. And you've heard me talk about that prior. But in many ways, I can sympathise with his argument. It's pretty compelling, isn't it? Even for Christians, when you hear the way that Stephen Fry, the British atheist, puts it, how dare you look at the injustice, look at the unfairness in the world. And what it comes down to is this. It's the question which perhaps is one of the greatest roadblocks to the faith. He's asking this. If God is so good, the God, if he does exist, then why do bad things happen to good people? That's a good question. What is with that? I, I had a friend, a good family friend, age 20. She just finished TAFE for the afternoon. Uh, she was going to go to youth group, but that Friday she loved God. She'd grown up in the church. She was a passionate youth leader. She loved him. She was a beautiful girl, not yet married, waiting at the bus stop for TAFE. And in that moment, an L-plater accidentally hit the accelerator instead of the brake at the road. And a car veered across across the footpath, into the bus stop, and it it missed everyone except this one girl, Emma, and it mowed her down and it snuffed her out. What's with that? (laughs) She loved God. She did all the right things. She was leading youth. She was doing... Can you see that this is as much as a problem for Christians as it is non-Christians? But certainly for the non-believers, that is the question. If God is so good, why do bad things happen to good people? So here's my approach to this this morning, uh, and I'll give you my simple answer. I don't know. I don't know. And I want you to hang with me because that's the answer of most major theologians. That's just not a Sam issue. We, we don't know, but... But one thing we do know is that when you go through suffering and these trials and hardships, one thing for sure is that you're going to be sad. But even more so, you're going to be even sadder, right, in those moments where you've got no bearings, you've got no framework by which you can process what is happening to you. And so uh, this morning, I want to provide a framework for dealing with the bad things that happen to good people. Maybe, maybe for some of you right now, this problem of bad things happening is the issue for you. And if that is you, I want to say to you this morning is that you don't need this message. You just need to know you're in a place where we want to love you and to hug you and to cry with you and to support you and to listen to you and to not preach at you. But if you'd like a framework, then we'll begin with that this morning. This is where we're going to go. I'll give you the framework for dealing with this question then we'll look at the resource for dealing with this question and the reason why we've got this resource. You see, first of all, let's deal with some of the objections of of why. How could be God good if if bad things happen to good people? Here's, Here's the first bit of the framework that you need to ask yourself. What is fair? That's the first question. What is fair? Who said life was supposed to be fair? Have you ever noticed how kids normally around the age of four onwards, start to get that as their general phrase to the questions of why you have to clean up their room. It's not fair. It's not fair. (laughs) Um, When was it that we thought it was not acceptable for a child to be asking that question and yet we seem to never lose it when we grow up, right? There is an inherent sense within us that goes, these things are not fair. You know, there was a guy just like Stephen Fry. He was an English atheist 
at the beginning of the 1900s, a prolific author. In fact, he was the Stephen Fry, the guy we saw in the video. He was the Stephen Fry of England, and his name was C.S. Lewis. He began as an atheist. And he was as outraged as Fry was, particularly coming out of the First World War. And he describes how he's originally an atheist because of the cruelty of life. And then he came to realise that the evil of the world and the injustice of the world was even more problematic for his new atheism. And this is what he says. He says this, My argument, and by the way, I reckon this is Fry's argument, My argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust. But how had I got this idea of just and unjust? What I was compare, what was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? And so you see the first problem that Lewis recognized and that we run into is that the modern objections to God being good when bad things happen to good people is that, that somehow they think that there's an inherent fairness in life. Says who? We live, we live in an era where, we live in an era these days, right? Where if you, if you get sick and you go to hospital and you fall ill, what's the first thing that's going to happen? You sue. Someone's got to be at fault. That's, that's not fair. But who, who says that's fair? Look at the world. Look at nature. The strong eating the weak. The big over the small. The randomness. Don't you see it? Sense it? Who said it's fair? That's the qu- first question that you've got to ask yourself. A Christian is someone who goes in and understands that, well, life really isn't fair. There is some senseless injustice in the world. Jesus says in Luke chapter 13, he tells a story about a, a, a tower that falls over and kills a whole bunch of people. And someone says to him, Jesus, oh, they must have sinned a lot more than the others. <laughs> and Jesus says, what are you talking about? We've, 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 we're all just the same as the other. There's just a randomness to life. The tower falls on the people. Life's not fair. The second thing is this. Uh, why get so angry? If you look at the great spectrum of belief from believing in God to not believing in God, let's go to the extreme end of that spectrum and say, if there is no God, then when we ask the question, why do, why do bad things happen to good people? The first thing we've got to ask if there's no God is, what's, why would there then be a difference between bad and good things? <laughs> because if there is no God, then we are, as uh, Crosby, Stills, Nash and Young once said, we are stardust, we are carbon and we've got to get back to the garden. <laughs> it, what, what they're saying is, like, if, if there is no God, we're, we're just a bunch, we're just a couple of million, couple of billion atoms rotating a couple of million kilometres away from a ball of gas. So how can you make a distinction between a bad thing and a good thing if there is no God? But here's the other thing. How do you make the distinction between a good and a bad person? You know, If there is no God and there's no ultimate morality and there's no judge, then who's to say what is good and bad? If there's no God, then I could walk down the street and I could go and maim someone for the rest of their life. And who's to say that that's a bad thing to do? What law did you get that from? That was merely you know, one force, Newtonian law, applying a force on another force. Atoms on atoms. It's all a randomness. So it begs the question, if there is no God, why so angry, Stephen? Why so angry? Can't you see that... And here it is, the further you, that you get away from God, the further you move away from your right to get angry about bad things happening to good people. The third one, there's only three of them and then we'll move into the resources, is, is this. So what's fair? Why so angry? Could there be a reason that you don't understand? Could there be a reason that you don't understand? This is where we come to this Bible passage of Matthew 16. 
Jesus predicts his death and it says from that time on Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer things that suffer many things at the hands of the elders and be killed and on the third day be raised to life and so Peter comes along and he says never Lord this shall never happen to you and Jesus turns to him and says get behind me Satan you're a stumbling block to me and here it is you do not have in mind the concerns of God but merely the merely human concerns so here's what Jesus is saying literally He's saying, mate, shut your mouth. <laughs> I don't mean to be so blunt, but that's, that's what the literal rebuke. It's like, Pete, you're talking gobbledygook. You don't understand what's going on. Now, it's quite ironic to think that Jesus in that moment would be so blunt because if you just read the, the verses before, Peter's the one who said, you're the son of the living Christ, and he's praising him because Peter gets who Jesus is, and now he's rebuking him. And when I read through that, uh, that statement sounds wonderfully familiar to a passage that we've looked at earlier this year uh, in the book of Job, where we look at the ultimate case study of an innocent sufferer. And in that book, you see a situation where finally the innocent sufferer gets to go and question God face to face. He cries out to him, what is all of this for? And do you remember God's response? Remember what happened? What did God say to him? He said this exactly the same thing. He said, shut your mouth. What would you know? Well, and here, here, it is, here it is here. I know, it's, I know it's pretty blunt. But Job 38 verse 4, he says to Job, Where were you when I laid the earth's foundation? Tell me if you understand. Who marked off its dimensions? Surely you know. Who stretched a measuring line across it? And then in verse 2, remember that classic line? He says, Who is this that darkens my counsel? Who is this getting in the way of my wise plan? Now, I know it sounds blunt and I'm unsympathetic, but trace out the thinking here. You see, a lot, a lot of people have this logic and this thinking that says, look, because I can't see a reason for the pain, the injustice, the suffering in the world, then there obviously can't be one. And if there is that, then God can't be good. And what God says into that, and Jesus says into that, is well, what would you know? I, I don't know about you, but I don't know things. I don't know things about finance. I don't know things about biology. I mean, I don't even know things about myself. <laughs> I have enough trouble working out what I'm going to wear <laughs> on a Sunday morning, <laughs> right? You, I'm sure you're the same. So doesn't it stand a reason that I know my, my mind in its finiteness? I know that I don't know everything. And so wouldn't it stand to reason if God is the God of the universe in his, in his massive manifold wisdom, could it be possible that he knows things that we don't know? If the person in charge of the universe is infinitely wise, doesn't it make sense that it doesn't make sense? I don't want it to make sense because it would mean that my knowledge is as big as God's. That's a scary place to be. I want to say to you this morning, just because you can't think of a reason for what you're going through doesn't mean there isn't one. I learnt this when I was a little three-year-old. I rolled, down the, I rolled down the drive. I thought it would be a fun idea to roll down the driveway. And we had a steep driveway and I rolled down the driveway going down, 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 down. And at the very end of the, end of the driveway, I thought the best way to stop myself would be with my head against the edge of a rock. <laughs> and so I split my head open here. And so Dad carts me off down to the medical centre and puts me in front of the doctor and the doctor looks, takes one look at it and says, yep, that's going to need stitches. And so, uh, rightio, let's get him on the table, let's do it. And Dad says, hang on, like, shouldn't there be an anaesthetic? Let's give him an anaesthetic. And the doctor said, well, it's just three or so stitches. The needle to give him the anaesthetic 
is going to hurt him as much as the needle going through to do the stitches. So let's just do it anyway. And so at that moment, Dad's job was to put his little toddler on the table and um, hold his head down as the doctor began to stitch my eye up um, without any, any anaesthetic. And in the moment that that was happening, and he recalled to me that it, I just, I didn't even really yell out. I just looked at him with these eyes as if to say, Dad, what are you doing? If God's so good, why do bad things happen to good people? What sort of God is that? What sort of father is that? I tell you what sort of father it is. It's the sort of father that understands the full scope of what's going on. It's the sort of father that understands the doctor's orders. It's the sort of father, it's the one who, who relatively has a wisdom that is infinitely greater than that of a three-year-old's. It's the sort of father that knows because of the doctor's orders that, yes, son, you're going to have to go through pain one way or the other, but my way is a pain that is going to be less than if you go the other direction. It's a father that when he puts you on the table says, I do this not to hurt you but for your good. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why does God allow this to happen? Here's the point. If you've got a God like, like Stephen Fry, if you've got a God that is big enough and powerful enough to be angry at, then it must mean that you've got a God who is big enough and wise enough to have reasons that you may not understand. Now the point is you can't have it both ways. You can't be angry at him and then you at the same time say that he doesn't exist. You can't have it both ways. Why does he allow these things to happen? Can we pause for a second? (laughs) Look, I I recognise this morning that (laughs) going through this intellectual framework for some of you is, that's not doing anything to help. I get that and I understand that. And that's why we, we move into what Fry was talking about because, see, this is a problem not just for the Christian, but I think it's an even bigger problem for the non-Christian, for the non-believer. You see, what does Stephen Fry says? He says, he says, the moment you banish God, life becomes simpler, purer, cleaner, and more worth living. Question, does it? You see, what C.S. Lewis was getting at is that, look, you've got a problem if you're a believer and these bad things happen in life. But he, what, what led him towards God is he realised as an atheist, I've got an even bigger problem if I don't believe in God because suffering is coming at us either way. And so here's what we want to get at this morning. Suffering's coming at us. It's, ine- it's inevitable. We understand that. We see that. But here's what happens. Suffering does this. It moves you in one of two directions. There's no escaping it. It's working on you right now, by the way. And it's leading you down either path. The path is this suffering either makes you bitter or it makes you better. And one of the great promises of Christianity is that Christianity can make you better in the midst of suffering. Now, notice I didn't say makes you better in spite of suffering. But in the midst of suffering, it's the paradox of how Christianity works. And there's so many passages I could go to to show you how this works. But I'll just go to one in Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Paul 
uh, this guy we've been talking about, one of the greatest leaders of Christianity outside of Jesus. Number 38 on rankers, most influential people in history. Here's what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Now, what's he saying? What's, ha- what's happened to him? The guy's been imprisoned. This is the leader of the biggest movement of Christianity outside of Jerusalem. And he's writing to them to encourage them because they're really worried that the leader of their movement is about to go down. And if he goes down, then we all go down. And so he's saying, it's okay. I've come to realize that actually what has happened to me, me being in jail, I didn't plan it. I didn't want to be here. I, I, I wasn't sure that it was going to work that way. But... I've ended up in jail and it's actually helped my cause for God's gospel, not hindered it. That this suffering has actually worked out in my life in a way that was better than I ever could have imagined. I couldn't have done this if it hadn't have been for this. Anyone ever had that dynamic in their life? You ever had that dynamic where you said to yourself, man, if I hadn't have been through this, this mountain that felt like it was an insurmountable, impassable suffering in my life. You know what? That, that just looks like small change compared to what I'm dealing through here. But Lord, I'm so thankful you put me through that. Have you been through that? What is that? It's what some of the commentators call the great alchemy of God. The, the alchemists, you know, the alchemists in the Middle Ages, they were the ones who, who tried to find out a scientific way to turn lead into gold. And so they thought, how could we take this which is worthless and meaningless and turn it into something precious? And what the commentators say about this passage is that Paul is saying God is the great alchemist. He can take that which is worthless, which is meaningless, and he can transform that into gold in your life. How? This is advanced Christianity, by the way. This is Christianity 301, by the way. Here's the first thing we see with Paul, and this is how you can apply it. It's application if you want to write it down. First of all, Paul doesn't expect to see the big picture. We see that all through his writings, that he trusts in God. He understands God is in control of all of this. That's what he means by, I now come to see what has happened, is advancing the gospel. But most importantly, we see through all of that, that, God, that Paul is asking, I wonder what God is doing in this now. I wonder what he's doing around me now because he saves one of the prison guards. That's what he was getting at when it's advancing the gospel. And if that can happen in jail, then I wonder what God's doing. And I wonder, most importantly, what it's doing in me now, he says. So here it is. A Christian is not someone who asks, why is this happening? To why is this happening? A Christian is someone who asks, why is this happening to me. I'll phrase it a different way. A Christian asks not, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? They ask, why is this happening to me? You see the difference? You hear the difference? In other words, what, God, what are you doing around me? What is happening in the midst of this hardship and trial and suffering? Uh, what is it that this suffering is stripping from me, taking away from me that may not be necessary, revealing to me that something that is actually a hindrance to me? In what way are these bad circumstances helping to shape me into a person of greatness and perseverance and glory? You see it in what he says down in verse, it was verse 16 of Philippians chapter 1. He says, this is fascinating, he says, it's true that some preach the gospel out of envy 
And then he says, for I know through your prayers, verse 19, sorry, and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. So literally what he's saying is this suffering is saving me. From what? He's in the middle of a jail. Saving him from getting bitter. In the midst of suffering, in the midst of all of that, there can be an alchemy, there can be the lead turning to gold, there can be something miraculous happening. You and I have seen the alchemists at work. We've seen that. I've seen people in this place who have had cancer and been through all of that and then sat down over a coffee and offered words of encouragement to say, I've been through this, I understand what you're going through. I've seen people whose marriages have blown apart. And, and, and even though it was a painful time for them, they've gone on to lead courses like divorce care and bring hope and healing to people who are going through the same sort of thing. I've seen people with health challenges that have been through some of the greatest trials in their life and yet come back to minister and to bring a glory to God in ways that they never would have imagined. We've, we've seen that, right? We know this to be true. But here's, we must be careful too before... Before we finish this morning, we must be careful to understand what I'm saying. I'm not saying if you take up Christianity, eventually things come good. (laughs) Maybe they won't. Why we've been talking about hope for the last four weeks. They may not come good this side of heaven. It can't be that. Look at Paul in prison. It can't be this. what this passage says today, verse 21. From that time on, Jesus began to explain to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things. This gets us away from the misconception that if you become a Christian, then all things will be good in your life. It doesn't say that. What it says is there can be an alchemy, a resource in your life that helps you deal with the problem you face when bad things happen to good people. It can save you. And here's why. Here's, here's what it means for you this morning. It's going to go one of two ways. Dealing with that question is going to make you a person that is either bitter or better. Paul was saying, because of the perspective I had through God, it makes me better. That's the choice before you this morning. The same sun that hardens clay softens wax. Just depends on what sort of heart you've got this morning. Is it a heart of clay or is it a heart of wax? You get a heart of wax by this as we finish. But we see that the picture of what God's answer to this question was, Verse 21, that the Son of Man must die. Jesus paints a clear picture about what's going to happen to him and Peter doesn't believe it. I love the way he rebukes him. (laughs) He rebukes him. Peter says, you're the all-knowing, all-powerful God of the universe. This will not happen to you. I think that's the way that a lot of us think. If if God is with you, then this stuff won't happen. Jesus says, come on, get behind me, Satan. I'm sure you've felt that though. You look at the suffering in your life and you say, this can't be right. There either is no God or God is mad at me or something is happening and all of that, but he can't be with me because I'm suffering. And yet Christianity is the only religion in the world where where do we first meet God? In the midst of suffering. Why do bad things happen to good people? I don't know the answer to that. But what I can show you is a very, very good person being subject to very, very bad things. And what it means for you this morning, whether you believe in God or not, what it shows us, the comfort that it can bring us, even though it doesn't answer the question, is even God has the gumption to swallow his own medicine. 
as a pastor all the time, people say, how can I get through this? How can I get through the pain and suffering? How can I get through the loneliness I'm feeling? How can I deal with the grief that I'm feeling? Why is all of this happening to me? I don't know the answer. But I can point you to the fact that God gets you. So what it means for you this morning, Christian, are we, are we aware of this, brothers and sisters? It's, it's advanced Christianity. It's a problem for us as it is as much for the unbeliever. And so are you, are you drawing back into that resource? Are you asking that question? Not why is this happening, but why is this happening to me? But I also speak to those that might be in the room this morning, those that like Stephen Fry, those that are asking questions, those that are yet to become Christians. If you're here, we're so glad that you're here. There's always people like that who are wrestling this through. And I can say, by the way, if you're trying to work out more to this, 20-something minutes is not enough. Come to Christianity Explained this afternoon at 4.30 and we can pick up the conversation. But can I say to you that... Here's what I mean. If you're angry, if you're frustrated, if you're crying out, if you're like Stephen Fry towards God... Can I promise you that that frustration is actually a sign of spiritual life? <laughs> I remember a girl here who passed out at a conference and she was uh, on the floor and the first thing the Ambos did is they came in and they pressed one of the pre- pressure points up in her shoulders and in her unconscious state she hit out and smacked the guy in the chin. <laughs> at least we knew she was alive. It's okay to be angry. It's okay to be frustrated. It's okay to not know the answers. And be encouraged that if you get to believe in God, then you're not that far gone. When you come up against this question, it's just his thumb pushing on that pressure point as it does for all of us. Follow the train of that frustration. Use that, funnel that, move that into a season where at least, at the least, if there is no God, well, there's no God. But at best... If you take that frustration, you search and you find him, you have everything to gain. Let's pray. Well, thanks for tuning in. If you'd like to find out more about Northside, visit northsidechurch.org.au.